Anybody who ever had anything to do with a youth group, like in the late 90s, early 2000s, or any of that, that's, that's a wonderful throwback. The first praise team that I was ever a part of, it was me and my buddy, just two guys and two guitars, and we were, what's the word, Katie, that would describe us? We were bad <laughs> at music, so we got better. The trick, the trick uh, for us, we were not good at music, so we found people who were and put them in the band with us, and then people didn't notice that we weren't good at music. It was great. We found uh, um, this this girl who could drum, and we found some girls who could sing, and we just sort of played guitar, and it was fantastic. And we had the old overhead projector. I can feel the heat off of that thing, John. I can hear the hum, the hum of the overhead projector with somebody with a Sharpie on a transparency. And uh, transparency, for those of you, like, under a certain age, a transparency was the thing you put on an overhead projector. And it's, it was a throwback. I am excited to have each of you here today on this amazing rainy Sunday morning that you braved the flea market traffic to, to be here. I want you to know who we are, what we stand for, and the heart of that is captured in this, this phrase that's on the wall here behind me. Those of you, you who, who've been around who know it, help me out with it. No matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. And we mean that. Does that mean we'll always get it right? No, but this is what we're aiming for every single day. So it's my privilege to get to share the Word of God with you. I want to tell you a story that even long-time church folks don't always know. The story of the man who saw trees walking. It's the day Jesus made a blind man see, and how the people who could see were the ones who were blind. So Jesus and his 12 closest followers had just gotten off the boat. They crossed the Sea of Galilee, and they're up on the northern end of the Sea of Galilee where the River Jordan runs in. There's a little town there called Bethsaida. We see that a lot in the Gospels. The name Bethsaida means house of the fishermen, and that's a perfect name for the place because lots of fishermen lived there. It was right there by the water. We know the names of some of these fishermen. Maybe you've heard them. Simon Peter. Andrew, James, and John. And you throw in Philip, who we don't know if he was a fisherman, and five of the 12 disciples were from this town of Bethsaida. And Jesus' ministry headquarters was just down the road in Capernaum. So Jesus was through Bethsaida a lot. He traveled through that town all the time. Some of his most impressive miracles happened in or around this area. Remember the story of how Jesus fed 5,000 plus people with a, a little kid's lunch. That happened near Bethsaida. The story of Jesus walking on the water. Even people who don't have anything to do with church have heard that story. Jesus walking on the water. That happened not far from Bethsaida. Lots of other things happened not far from here. The people of Bethsaida saw more of Jesus and his miracles than just about anybody. And if any, if any community should be up on the, the Jesus train... It was Bethsaida. How about y'all? Y'all on the Jesus train? All right. Okay. Is it too wet outside for that? I don't know. This is like one of those mornings when it's soggy. I get a little sleepy. Tell you what, though. I will do my best not to make you sleepy. And if you get sleepy, I'll come stand beside you. Because, like, with this microphone, I can just come and I can talk right to you. This is my wife, by the way. 
I'm blessed. Somebody's clapping. Go ahead and clap. You can clap for that. God is good all the time, all the time. So Bethsaida saw Jesus all the time. Bethsaida had every chance to believe. Keep that in mind. All right, lock that little fact away. Grab it and put it on a shelf in your brain. You got shelves in your brain? Mine's a little full. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab this fact. Bethsaida had every chance to believe. And I'm going to shove it in my brain in the little crack that's between the lyrics for Bohemian Rhapsody and what my great-grandma's house smelled like. So I'm going to just burp, shove it right in there and keep a hold of that. So Jesus is walking through the streets of Bethsaida and a group of people come up to him. They're leading another man. This man has a bandage wrapped around his head covering his eyes. These people who are with the man with the bandage over his eyes fall before Jesus begging for his help. They were sure that if Jesus could just touch this man, he would be healed. And Jesus reached out and took the man's hand. And everyone's watching and nothing happens. No miracle. Not yet. He takes the man's hand and he leads him through the streets. Everyone's kind of following us. Where's Jesus going with this guy? He's just leading him. They get to the edge of town. Jesus keeps going out into the fields surrounding Bethsaida. And the people are watching. And they say, where's Jesus going? They don't go with him. They, they stay in town and say, what? I, don't, I wanted to see a miracle. We expected to see a miracle. And he's just taking him out in the field. So most of the people just go back into town. But at least a few of the disciples tagged along. As they watched, Jesus took off the man's bandage. And I'm just going to tell you, in the ancient world, blindness was a, a common affliction. And it was usually the result of some kind of a disease. Uh, they had very little treatment for any kind of eye ailments in those days. If you had a problem with your eyes, you were probably going to go blind. So there's a good chance that this man had a, had a disease that made his eyes not nice to look at, okay? But it didn't bother Jesus. Jesus takes the man's bandage off. And what he does next will weird us out a little bit. He spits on his fingers and touches the man's eyes. I've told you guys before. Um, I'm a little weirded out by that. Anybody else weirded out by that? Let's just be honest. If you were going to write the Bible to make everyone comfortable, you wouldn't put spit scenes in there. Not for that. In that culture, in that time, saliva was seen as having healing properties. And even growing up in these mountains, many a time I would have a scrape on my knee and somebody said, I'll just spit on it, boy. Anybody else get told, just spit on it? That is just sound medical advice right there. Just spit on it. Walk it off. You lost a leg, walk on it anyway. Stump it off. Okay? So Jesus touches his eyes. <laughs> it's a little weird. Hey, saliva makes an appearance in several other of Jesus' miracles. One time he spit on the ground and made mud and put it on someone's eyes. A little weird, but it happened. Jesus puts his hand on the man then, puts his hands. I kind of imagine him putting his palms over the man's eyes, and he prays. And let's go to the Scriptures to get a full description. I, I really want to read this from the Scriptures. This is Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 30. By the way, this is the only one of the four Gospels that records this event. Maybe that's why a lot of people haven't heard it, because it's, it's only in this one little section here. It goes like this. Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him. And begged him to touch him. 
So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Remember the title of the message, The Man Who Saw Trees Walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. And they sent him, then he sent him away to his house saying, Neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. I want to stop there and pray for us, Heavenly Father. Please speak to us through this. Please help us to, to understand that in order to truly see, we need to admit our own spiritual blindness. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. This is a weird event, right? See men like trees walking. You can be in church your whole life and not hear this particular story. Um, Jesus restored the man's sight. And it's, it's not just the tree part that's interesting. It's how he did it. Jesus restored the man's sight partially and then completely. What could that mean? Hey, first of all, shout out to the man's friends, right? The man's friends cared about him. and They brought him to Jesus. In the ancient world, there was very little medical treatment. If you had any problem with your eyes, you were really in trouble. You could get some like nasty salve to put in there, and they probably had all kinds of folk remedies that didn't work too well, but you were really in trouble. It probably felt to these friends like they could not help the man very much, but they found what they could do. They brought him to Jesus. Compassion is good. Compassion paired with action is gooder. That is not good English. I'm sorry, Miss Sasser. My English was bad there. But you'll remember it now. If I say compassion's better, like, oh, yes, compassion's better. If I say it's gooder, y'all remember it. So there it is. Compassion is good. Compassion paired with action is gooder. All right. When someone experiences a tragedy, one of the most common sentiments expressed is, my thoughts and prayers are with you. That's what people like comment on social media Thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. And that's not a bad thing. Thoughts and prayers are a good thing. If someone you know or have heard of is really suffering, you should be thinking about them. You should be praying for them. That is a fantastic place to start. It's not the place to stop. It's not the place to finish. Listen, the, the truest and greatest kinds of thoughts and prayers lead to actions. The friends of this man didn't just pat him on the back and say, man, bad luck about the blindness, man. Thoughts and prayers. They thought about him. They prayed for him. But then they went to work. They went into action. They brought him to Jesus. Bringing someone to Jesus, that's a kind of prayer. I mean, we use that language, don't we? Lifting someone to Jesus when we're praying. We're lifting someone to Jesus. I just imagine doing like an overhead press with somebody. They're going to have to be pretty skinny. Okay, I ain't what I used to be. Just lift them up to Jesus in a physical way. But really, when we, when we pray... We're lifting people to Jesus. And how many of y'all know there's a difference between praying and praying? I mean, praying. The kind, there's a difference between the kind of prayer where you're like, oh, man, that's sad. Lord, please help these people. And then the prayer where you're just crying out to God on behalf and say, God, this is bad. I want to be part of making this better. Lord, I will be your hands and your feet if you'll just show me how I can help these people. That's the kind of prayer we need, the kind of prayer that doesn't just feel sad. That's good, but the kind of prayer that gets us moving, that's better. 
Let's be the kind of prayer warriors that pray while we are getting up to go get involved. I have a rule with my kids that they are to- it's totally okay for them to ask why when I say, hey, go, go do this. and it's, it's okay to ask why, but the rule is you've got to be getting up and doing the thing while you ask why. And maybe that's the way we should be with our prayers. Yes, pray for people, but be getting up and go doing something while you're praying. When we get up and get involved, it does make a difference. Hey, look what happened to this man, right? Jesus healed the man of his blindness. Except he did it in a strange way. And I don't mean the spit part. The spit part, that's weird. Okay, I'm thinking uh, I'm not comfortable with that. It did happen. Um, Thankfully, I've never had to be involved in anything like that. It's the other part. It's the part where the healing is incremental. All right, like one step at a time. It's always been interesting to me. Because you know Jesus could have just been like, bang, you're healed and done, right? Why is it, why is it incremental? He, he touched the man one time and said, can you see anything? And the man said, um, I see something. I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be people. But it looks like trees walking around. Trees walking. What's up with that? Well, not possible. A couple things. If he had been blind since birth, which is... Could be. Maybe he'd never seen a tree or a person. So it'd be easy to mix them up. Or, uh, or maybe his vision is still really blurry. Okay, I, wear my, I got my contacts in. I've got my glasses too. But if I don't have either one of those, y'all could be trees for all I know. You know the big E at the top of the chart? You've seen that? I haven't. <laughs> I can't see the big E. I know it's a big E. But I can't see it. Because my vision is so bad. Thank you, Jesus, for vision correction because it would be a rough rough life so maybe his vision was really blurry or maybe he was looking forward into the future god gave him a glimpse into the future into the science fiction fantasy classic by J.R.R. tolkien the lord of the rings when which there are some trees that walk around they're called ants any other nerds in the room well, they're, they're, they're tree shepherds that's true they are very good thank you for proving that you are the king of the nerds john <laughs> all of you who raised your hand this is your king he's here the return of the king, ladies and gentlemen, it's right here. No, everybody who did not put your hand up, you need to go read a cool book. Read, you know, watch a movie. Actually, don't read the book because you'll be disappointed in the movie. Actually, most of the movie's pretty good, pretty good. But, you know, I'm one of those guys that reads the book and then you watch the movie. God bless my wife because I'll read the book and then we watch the movie. And it's like, ah, the book wasn't like that. The book was better. In the book. Well, in the book, here's what really happened. And I ruined the movie. But she loves me anyway. Because she's a sweetheart. So most likely it was the second thing. The second thing where his, his vision is really blurry. So his eyes now work. He can detect light, so to speak. But it's like a person whose vision is really, really, really bad. And everything is just a big blur. And that's... I mean, he can see, kind of. But can he see really? His eyes have been opened, but he can't really see. Jesus asked him if he could see anything, and he said, no. I I mean, I mean, yes, but it looks like, I think those are supposed to be people, but they look like trees walking around. That's probably the disciples who were kind of milling around him there. It was only when Jesus touched him a second time that his sight was fully restored. So what does that mean? 
Well, here's something we should see. Healing isn't the same all the time. Even in the, in the Gospels, even when, when Jesus is out there healing people, it's not the same every time. There's a lot of variety in the way he heals people. This time he, he put spit on a man's eyes. I told you already of the story of how he made mud and put that on a man's eyes. And another time he would just touch someone. Uh, another time he would um, lift someone up and they, they would rise from the dead. And, and another time they, he would say, he wouldn't even go to the place. He would say, hey, now go ahead and go back. The person you pray for, they're healed. It's not the same every time. So we should not expect our prayers to be answered according to a formula all the time. We like the idea that, that God works in a way that we can understand. Like a vending machine view of God. Like God is this big cosmic vending machine. And you've got your dollar and you've like straightened out the corners of the dollar. It's 2023. Why can't we put a folded dollar into the vending machine yet? Somebody figure that out, would you? Get that tech. Like straighten out the little corners of the dollar. And we put that dollar in the dollar is a prayer. You put the prayer into the vending machine and you push the button. Boop. I want healing or I want a better job. Boop. Or I, I want someone to be nice to me. Boop. And out pops the thing that we want. That sounds really cool, doesn't it? God is not a cosmic vending machine. It's not like we insert a prayer and we push the button we want and it just happens. It's just it's not that way. We humans love the idea that God will play by our rules. But think about it. From the beginning, God created man in his own image. And man has been trying to recreate God in man's image from the beginning. That was part of the appeal of idolatry. Like you read the Old Testament and these people are always worshiping these idols. And what's up with that? I mean, why would you ever worship an idol? It's just like a statue. I mean, you literally went down to the market and watched the guy carve it out. Why would you worship this thing? It makes no sense. The thing is about an idol is it can be anything you want it to be. If you have a God of your own creation, you can make that God play by your rules. Think about the, the Greek and Roman gods you learned about in school. Remember those guys? Pretty much all of them essentially were beings that behaved like a human would behave just turned the volume turned way way up humans like to party so they made a god of partying called bacchus like hey he's like the partyingest dude you ever saw you know and it was just all of that so they would turn it up when you create a god whose behavior who, who behaves like a human that's a god that we can just understand people still do the same thing they make a god out of money or success or popularity or philosophy because we can wrap our head around those things. But would you not expect, if there's a real God out there, wouldn't we expect Him to defy our expectations? Would you really want a God who is bound by human logic? Have you met any humans? They talk a big game on logic, but they're not so good at it. We, we think we're so logical, but we're not. We don't want a God who plays by our rules. Do, do you think, do we want a God who we can, we can put in a box and pull him out now and then when we need some help or we need an excuse? And one thing we can be sure of, the true God won't always play by our rules. It's good that there's not like a Yelp rating for God. You know what that is? Like you rate a restaurant or whatever, because God's Yelp rating probably wouldn't be real high because people have expectations for things that he didn't promise 
me tell you about the true God. You cannot put him in a box. The lion of the tribe of Judah is not a tame lion. He is not going to play by our rules. One of the great truths of this story is that that God will defy our expectations. And here's one of them. Even in miracles, the miracle might be incremental. Remember, it took two touches here. God can heal somebody in an instant, but sometimes he works incrementally. Uh, Healing can be a process. Freedom can be a process. Um, Don't give up because what you're praying for seems to be coming a little bit at a time. Here, Here it is. Here's your like coffee mug phrase for the day. Process is progress. You like that? You can put that. Process is progress. Process is progress. God is probably going to bring you through a process to make progress in your life. Wouldn't it be nice if all of a sudden he just goes, ding, everything's great in your life. Sometimes he can do that. But most of the time, he's going to work on you every day and you're going to have to grow and you're going to have to learn and you're going to have to develop your spiritual muscles. And that's how he works almost all the time. Miracles can look very different and still be miracles. In Acts chapter 28, we see Paul, the apostle, shipwrecked shipwrecked on the island of Malta and he's doing miracles there and all the people of the island came to him to be healed and the way it's worded it's like paul did miracles like miracle miracles we'd call them where he like touched someone and they're healed but there was also someone else with paul and his name was luke some of y'all bible scholars impressed me what was luke's profession he was a medical doctor and the way it's worded there in Acts 28 indicates that it seems while paul was performing miraculous acts of healing luke was treating people medically and you know what God is at the root of both miracles. Do you believe God can use good doctors to bring healing? Absolutely. And the best doctors know it. And they acknowledge God the Father. They acknowledge Jesus the great physician. I want to let you know before, you know, a matter of these uh, incremental miracles, do understand this. If you're struggling as you're praying, it's like, Lord, this is only getting better a very little bit at a time. Remember, he who has begun a good work in you will finish it. What God started, he will finish. Hold on, don't give up, don't bail out, don't jump off. He will finish it. So Jesus has no problem healing somebody all the way, right away. Right? Right. Why is this a two-stage miracle? What if I told you that the greatest kind of miracle is always a two-stage miracle? The miracle of salvation is a two-stage miracle, so to speak. This is deep stuff, okay? Deep stuff. So, so like, tune in, all right? Lean in right now. This is deep stuff. Every single person begins in a state of spiritual blindness, and we don't really know it. Imagine if you went around your whole life with your eyes closed, you wouldn't really know whether your eyes worked or not, right? You wouldn't really have a good indication of whether you could see or not because your eyes were always closed it was only after your eyes were opened that you could tell whether they were working or not spiritually speaking we start out with our eyes closed and it's only when they're opened that we can see what we need spiritually okay jesus will have to open our eyes enough for us to see we need him we need salvation and that's the work of the holy spirit in our lives is the holy spirit will open our eyes enough 
where we can recognize we need Jesus. It's that, that first touch, okay? And our vision is not very clear. And we really, we have a little bit of ability to understand some spiritual things. And, but it all is kind of blurry. And, but we can see enough to know we need Jesus. And we go to him. And that's when he touches us. And, and our eyes are really, really opened. Okay? Not just enough to see we need him. But enough to see his face. It's only after that Holy, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes that we can see we need to be forgiven. We need to be made clean. We need redemption from sin. It's only after our eyes have been opened to our sin that we can truly be cry out to the Lord and be saved. We don't know until then. Suppose you go walking on a mountain trail. We got those around here. You don't realize it, but you've made three or four wrong turns. And you are hopelessly, incredibly lost. But do you cry out for help? No, because you don't know you're lost yet. It's only after you figure it out that, oh my gosh, I don't know where I'm at in these woods. Then you're like, um, help somebody, anybody, help. I need somebody, help. Beatles, somebody, not just anybody. The real ones know. Um, that's when we cry out, when we realize we're lost. That first touch, when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, that's when we see we need Jesus. And that second touch is when Jesus brings salvation into our lives. I love this story. With that first touch, the man in the story could see blurry shapes. But what did he see after that second touch? He saw the face of Jesus clearly. Man, that's what I want to see. When I get to heaven, I, I want to see Jesus. Whatever else is going on, hey, you know, I, I want to see my loved ones that have gone before, but I think they're going to have to get in line because I want to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus face to face. And everybody else, the family reunion is going to have to wait. I got to see the man first. This story is bigger than one man. This is where it gets really neat. And I prayed about this all week. And I'm like, Lord, what's going on here? Okay, see if you can follow this. What city were they in when this miracle, when, when Jesus met the man? Bethsaida. What was the first thing Jesus did when he met this man? Took him out of Bethsaida. What was the last thing Jesus told him after he healed him? Don't go back into Bethsaida. What's that about? Get out. Don't go back. Hmm. A big part of Jesus' ministry had taken place in and around this area. The people in this city had seen a lot of miracles. They had more opportunity than anybody to understand who Jesus was and is and respond in faith. And that's the problem. Let's look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 and 21. Check this out. Jesus talking here. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which he did most of his mighty works because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Jesus specifically calls out Bethsaida and the nearby city of Chorazin. They had seen all the miracles, but they didn't repent. The people in this area, they had, 
so to speak, received the first touch, right? They could, their eyes had been opened enough where they could see what was, something was going on. But they still didn't see the face of Jesus clearly. They didn't repent. They, they, by and large, they saw the need for Jesus, but they didn't put their faith in him like they should have. And he said, meanwhile, if uh, the people over in Tyre and Sidon had heard it, they would repent right away. And that's what we just saw in the book of Mark, right? Jesus has just taken this big circular tour through the Gentile lands around Tyre and Sidon. And a lot of those people repented and were saved. Meanwhile, Bethsaida had seen Jesus again and again and again and had every opportunity to repent and put their faith in him, but they didn't. And I wonder if that's why Jesus took the man outside the city. Because one more miracle wasn't going to convince Bethsaida. It was only going to add to their guilt because they had seen enough to believe and refused. Because they could not realize their blindness, they couldn't truly see. They'd received that first touch, so to speak, that they could, they could see something, but they didn't act after that. They didn't put their trust in Jesus to have their sight fully open. So here, here, here's a controversial statement for you. I don't make a lot of these, but I'm going to try to make it count. I'm convinced that what is holding most people back from tr trusting Jesus is not a lack of evidence. Folks, there's evidence all around us. There is evidence for the reality of God in every star, in every flower, in every raindrop, in every bird song, in every word of the scriptures, and in every life that has been transformed by the gospel. There are people who are in this room right now who if the gospel had not transformed them, they probably would not be alive. There are people in this room right now, if the gospel had not transformed them, you wouldn't recognize them. The difference that Jesus makes in lives is hard to argue with. You might say, well, you know, this or that could explain all these other natural phenomenon. But how do you explain lives who are truly, truly different? People are different than they were. The evidence is here. The problem isn't evidence. The problem is acting on the evidence we see. When Jesus touched the man's eyes, he said, do you see anything? What did the man say? I, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Imagine if he said, ah, this is pretty good. I can, I can work with this. I can work with this. I like trees. I'm a tree hugger. I'll just go hug these walking trees. Imagine if he'd been satisfied with this limited view of just enough. When Jesus was right there in front of him, he didn't have to see trees walking. He could walk with the Son of God. Imagine if he had not chosen that, chosen to put his faith in Jesus and receive that second touch. Man, there's too many folks who have their eyes opened to the truth just enough to know, to know they really need to take some spiritual action, but they don't. I don't want you to be one of those people who, who've got your eyes just enough to kind of get a blurry image of Jesus, a blurry image of spirituality, to have this kind of um, religiosity or spirituality that like, ah, you know, I think I'm okay. 
with the universe. Don't be satisfied with that, with that blurry image. Don't be satisfied until you see the Son of God in clarity, face to face. Jesus is calling you to truly see, and you can only truly see once you understand that the blurry vision is is not enough. Jesus is calling you you to something real and transformative. Don't be satisfied to see trees walking. Walk with the Son of God. I think we just need to pray right now. I'm going to pray for you and pray with you. Heavenly Father, God, I pray... I pray that we will see so much more than walking trees and blurry images of of you. I pray for every single person listening to this right now that you would open their eyes so they'll see they need you. They need repentance. They need forgiveness. They need salvation. And Lord, take them from that blurry image to a full vision of the face of Jesus. God, I I pray for every person that they would trust in Jesus and be saved and be forgiven and be made new. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for healing us. Thank you for guiding us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's the story of the man who saw trees walking. Lord willing, we'll be back together next week. We're going to learn more from the Gospel of Mark. It's hard to believe we've been this far into it. We're past the halfway part. We're making a race to the cross now. And I Hope you'll be here for that. God bless you guys. Have a fantastic week. And uh, I'm just going to say thank you to the Lord for the, the people we celebrate on this Memorial Day who laid down their lives so we could have the freedom to do what we do. You understand that some element of what we do today is illegal in about one quarter of the countries on earth, that this would be illegal. And yet we are here and we have that freedom. So praise God for the freedom and praise God for the folks who paid the price that we might have that. All right, that's it, you guys. That's all I got. Have a blessed week. Enjoy your day off tomorrow, and we'll catch you next time.